Today's Cloudcast is sponsored by our friends at The CyberWire. If you have trouble keeping up with the latest cybersecurity news, we recommend The CyberWire's daily podcast. Each day, they give you an informative 20-minute recap of the latest and most important updates in the industry. They keep their content concise, accessible, and relevant, separating the signal from the noise in an industry overloaded with information and competing messages. We here at the Cloudcast, we listen to stay up to date every day, and we think you should too. So subscribe to the CyberWire today. You can visit thecyberwire.com slash subscribe or search for the CyberWire, C-Y-B-E-R-W-I-R-E, in your favorite podcast app. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to The Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Just Aaron for Cloud News of the Week uh, this week, and we have some really interesting stories. It's uh, been quiet the last couple of weeks, and, and uh, we've been uh, doing the uh, Tech Accelerators uh, episodes as well. So we've taken a couple breaks, but this week is a good week. Um, first off, Cloud News of the Week, we have a pretty interesting price change um, from AWS. Reserved instances, I shouldn't say are going away because they are still there, but but reserved instances are, are almost being sunset, if you will, in favor of a new plan. There is something that was introduced called the AWS Savings Plan, and, and almost think of this as a three-year subscription at a discount. Um, could be Fargate, could be EC2, but the idea behind it is, yeah, we're going to sign up for a certain amount of, of spend and you can really use any kind of instance, uh, or any kind of compute underneath that commitment level, anything above and beyond. Of course, it is, uh, you know, a little bit of overage charges. So it's almost like your cell phone plan, if you will, at least here in the States. Um, but What's super interesting about this, I think it's very timely because the amount of instances, you know, I think there was something like over 200 kinds of instances at this point in time. Uh, But all of those instances, plus all the reserves, like the market just got to be far too complex. And so this is a really good opportunity to kind of reset for AWS. And, and it, it is a really nice, like, okay, this is one of those kind of, we're starting to see more and more announcements as we're leading up to AWS reInvent here in a couple of weeks. So I think it was a good opportunity for them. Um, but of course, you know, anytime they announce something new, it is a little bit of like, okay, who gets hurt? Um, so there is, you know, VMware's cloud health, there's, uh, you know, cloudability, which was purchased by uh, Aptio uh, not too long ago. You know, those kinds of players out in the market, um, their, their jobs, uh, you know, got a little harder, if you will, because AWS is compli- is constantly simplifying and advancing the industry forward. So with that one, we'll move on to the, ne- the next one, um, which is really about finance and, and public cloud as well. Um, as many in this n- industry know, finance is, is one of the last holdouts, if you will, in being a little hesitant at times in going to public cloud. And so it was announced this week that that Bank of America and IBM had worked together uh, to really develop a public cloud specifically for finance. And 
it, it was a collaboration, to be clear, uh, but uh, really developing a, a public cloud that is specific for finance, almost like, you know, there was kind of like GovCloud uh, with AWS and, you know, d- developed around some of the security implications with the federal government here in the United States. But the idea here being, how can you follow all of the regulatory compliance and then some uh, for uh, big financial companies such as Bank of America? And and why are they trying to do something like this? Well, at the end of the day, Bank of America in particular has been on a multi-year journey just to even go to private cloud. And they saw a really significant savings in going to private cloud. Well, it for them, it's a little bit of, okay, what's next? How do we start to work on the next batch of savings in our infrastructure spend? So I think this is really fascinating and you'll start to see more and more of, of these almost like very specific industry clouds in, in our industry. Um, things popping up for finance, th- things popping up for uh, governments, things popping up for medical, uh, you know, the things that kind of come to top of mind. And Lastly, this week, we have an article that's really, uh, you know, talking about medical and and healthcare and healthcare records from privacy. Um, There was announced this week, kind of almost like a bit of a whistleblower uh, project going on where there was Project Nightingale. Project Nightingale was Google working with a very large healthcare provider here in the United States and getting access to millions of healthcare patient data and the records. The idea there being, of course, doing data analysis behind the scenes on some of those, but there's lots of concerns uh, in the industry of was uh, HIPAA laws followed here in the United States? Uh, and was this information shared in a way that that was sensitive to the patients um, that followed all of the laws? And a government inquiry was actually opened into all of this. And and I think this is, again, just a trend like we're seeing in the industry of, um, you know, take Alexa and Google Home and uh, some of these others that were out there where you started to see privacy of, you know, collecting recordings. Like it's all about collecting as much user data from as many sources as, as they possibly can. And does this at the end of the day violate Google's do no evil, right? I, I honestly don't know. And, uh, and we'll continue to follow this story and, and see what happens from here. Uh, so all of it, if you're interested in any of those, the, the, the links will be in the show notes. And as a quick note too, as well, uh, the upcoming topic uh, was recorded uh, at Microsoft Ignite, but we do have a Ignite recap show coming up. We have, uh, of course, AWS reInvent. We're in the middle of trade show sh- season. We'll have AWS reInvent recap coming up. So stay tuned, everyone. And with that, we'll uh, move on to the uh, Microsoft Ignite conversation. Today's episode is sponsored by Datadog, the cloud-scale monitoring service that provides comprehensive visibility into public cloud, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud environments with over 250 integrations. Datadog unifies your metrics, logs, and distributed request traces into one platform, so you can investigate and troubleshoot issues across every layer of your stack. Use Datadog's rich, customizable dashboards and algorithmic alerts to monitor cloud migrations in real time. To start a free trial today and Datadog sending you a free t-shirt, visit datadoghq.com slash cloudcast to get started. That's datadoghq.com slash cloudcast. And we're back. Uh, for those that uh, 
haven't heard my voice in a while, this is Aaron, and uh, coming to you live from Microsoft Ignite. Microsoft was gracious enough to host us in their podcasting suite. Um, have a, a fantastic topic for today. I want to talk a little bit about Azure Cloud Adoption, and more specifically, the Azure Cloud Adoption Framework. Um, two great guests today. First, we have Evelyn Padrino with the Azure Customer Success Team. And second, we have Brian Blanchard with Azure Cloud Adoption Framework Team. How are you both doing? Why don't we start with a, a quick, brief intro for both of you. Evelyn, would sure. you like to go? Thank you. Very excited to be here, Aaron. Um, my name is Evelyn. I've been with Microsoft over 18 years, and right now I run a customer success team uh, within Azure Customer Success Team. My team is responsible for growth and programmatic adoption of the cloud. Very Fantastic. excited to be and here. And Brian? Yeah. Brian's trying really hard to cough off mic over there, mm -hmm. but go ahead. Yeah, if you're, your background you're noise, busted. that's me moving the mic around. <laughs> go ahead, Brian. Uh, so, so I've been with Microsoft for just over a year now, so relatively new to the company, but been in the space for over 15 years as a partner, helping customers implement and adopt the cloud. And now in the new role, I'm helping customers do that at a broader scale. Fantastic. Yeah, and it's it's been a really, really interesting topic for our listeners, and, and one that has been of, of a lot of interest and concern at times because you know, we went through this where, okay, we have to define cloud. What does cloud mean? And then we kind of have to do that. And then everyone kind of has to go, okay, great. Here's how you go to cloud. And it's a little bit like, well, what does that mean, right? And so that's really kind of a, a, at the core of what we're going to talk, talk about today. And, and so you both represent uh, the Azure Cloud Adoption Framework team. So let's start there. What is it? And how did it come about? Do you want to start or you yeah. want me to jump in? Let me start. So um, actually, there's no such a thing as a, the Cloud Adoption Framework team because this is a cross-company effort. Uh, we uh, found out through multiple customer interactions that the customers were not clear on how to adopt the cloud, as you were saying. like Some customers were like, oh, FOMO, I need to go to the cloud because everybody is, but how do I do it? I don't know. Um, so digging through customer interactions, we found, and Brian documented, over 60 different ways to do this within Microsoft people. I'm surprised it was only 60. Only 60. Well, that's that's, that's what he just shift and left of yeah, the yeah, yeah, right. of the cloud. Yeah. found yes. in a quick searching over a couple months and all that. Mm -hmm. And then we said, okay, amazing knowledge, great collection of best practices, but actually it's not a streamlined, and it's confusing our customers. So it came about this holistic framework that now we're hoping it's a one Microsoft approach to cloud adoption. Yeah, yeah, no, I couldn't say it better myself. That, that's exactly what it is, is a one Microsoft approach to unify cloud adoption. Mm -hmm. And at the root of cloud adoption, we like to look at it like it's a technical change. But in all reality, cloud adoption is an organizational change management function. It's just really cleverly described as, uh, uh, clever, cleverly hidden as a, a technology function. And when we break it apart, we're changing the people, the processes, and the technology that drive businesses. So we needed a unified way that we could talk about that process and operationalize it for our sales force, our partners, our services teams, and at the end of the day, for the most important person, our customer. Fair enough, fair enough. And you have a concept uh, that really resonated with me and, and customers I've spoken to in the past. And th this idea is that there is no one cloud journey. There, you know, everyone's journey is a little bit different. And this, and we'll dig into this here shortly, but it, it felt to me a little bit of like, okay, this is a formal blueprint for success, but 
it's a, a more of a methodology blueprint than a technology adoption blueprint. To your point of like, how do you get 60 plus use cases and that's just at the first brush, how do you get them all to kind of follow the same patterns and have the same success versus everyone kind of gets to the first, you know, hurdle, doesn't know exactly, gets overwhelmed, throws up their arms, flips the table and walks out, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and, and so there's this idea of in the blueprint process, you know, defining the strategy, planning the business outcomes, preparing this environment. And, you know, it's things we've talked about on the show in the past. And, and um, the big, where I'm going, though, with the question, though, is, is in that process, where are we at on, like, things like, say, governance or management of operations? There's the get to day zero yep. portion of all of this that we sell for. And that's the hard one without a doubt, that everyone thinks about. But then it's the day one plus operations of totally. all of this. And, and so tell us a little bit about how that is potentially addressed in this. Yes, and, and it's great that you listed off those different stages. Uh, inside of the cloud adoption framework, we have a, a number of methodologies that we've developed for customers or partners to follow. And they each start with that technical implementation. And when we studied all of those different patterns of implementation, we realized that it wasn't the technology that caused the, diver the, the diversification. It was actually the business decisions. So we started with implementations and then stepped up a notch and really focused on what business decisions drive which outcomes. And at the end of the day, adopting the cloud's not really that hard. If you're migrating VMs to the cloud, it's pretty easy motion. If you're building a new product and service in the cloud, they get complex, but it's not that far off from what you used to do. It's all the other stuff that changes. Having the right tools to protect your environment, make sure you're secure and stable and operationally sound, and having the tools to manage and maintain and operate that environment. And more importantly, before you invest in technology, making sure you know what the business is trying to accomplish and how you're going to measure success and making sure you've got a plan and skills for your people. So all of those change management functions are really what's required to successfully adopt the cloud at scale. And if you caught Sacha's keynote, he has a formula that summarizes it really well. Uh, tech intensity is an equation that, that's created from technical adoption plus technical ability to the power of trust. Mm -hmm. And across Microsoft, Docs, Learn, all of these different platforms we have, we focus really hard on technical capability around our products, and we invest heavily there. Cloud Adoption Framework is our first attempt to document for the customers that technical adoption, and how do you think about the rest of it that's required to build that trust with your customers? Good. Fantastic. And, and I will add to that that, as you mentioned, Aaron, the journey, we don't try to make it very prescriptive because every customer will have a its own journey. And the way we build the Microsoft Cloud Adoption Framework for Azure is a modular, meaning you come in and if, for example, governance is an area where you are concerned because you have concerns on controlling your cost or who is accessing this with identity and access and resource management, you start in the governance space. And you might go there, take an assessment, look at the guidance, the methodologies around governance, but at the same time, you are exposed to the other modules, taking you to each of those models when you're ready, when you really need them in your journey. That makes sense. Now, we'll dig deep into this specifically for a second. I, I you know, full disclosure, I, I honestly hadn't heard of it uh, previously. And so for those that uh, haven't heard about this before, so... Is this a product? Is it a service? Is it a <laughs> blueprint? You know, 
tell, tell everyone a little bit about it. If somebody really is interested in this, what is step one? Step one is really focusing on assessments, and, and Evelyn can explain that much better than I can, but don't feel bad about not hearing about it. Uh, the Cloud Adoption Framework was just born this time last year, coming out of Ignite, and didn't really exist at all until February. And we've very purposely, silently operated in a public preview so that we could engage customers with what we were thinking and test and validate and observe. And at Ignite this, this week, we actually made it a generally available product that we now have that confidence in. Now we're ready to start talking about it publicly. Sure. So and you didn't miss much. Okay, okay. Days. Just make it and, and so the assessments are those self-assessments with Microsoft? Are they with partners in the you know channel or all of the above? I love the question. Because um, even though we as Microsoft, you know, we have a huge, very compelling, very committed partner ecosystem, we have created our own Microsoft assessments to help customers do it. They are self-service, meaning the customer can come in, their Q&A web experiences where the customer goes in, answer a few questions, and then the output tells them, you need to go back to this area of the documentation where the specific model or stage methodology that they need to drill into and move forward. But these assessments are there, as I said, for self-service. However, we have a number of partners that are already building, or actually, I would say, not building, modifying their offerings. Because, surprise, partners have been doing this for some time already. They have all these solution approach, consulting conversations with customers, and what they've been doing is creating this journey with their customers with their own offerings. Now that we have the Cloud Adoption Framework, they have something to align to, and it's been very easy for them to adapt those offerings and go about and use these assessments in those conversations to get going. So the conversation starts with the assessment taken by the customer, getting this output with the specific areas where they are kind of hurting, where their pain is more clear, and giving them the guidance to go do it. If they're doing it by themselves, they go in and they read documentation, get additional best practices, uh, get more additional MS Learn type of models to learn more about the specifics that they need to go into, or work with a partner that has a particular offering in that area, and they can handhold and help them or work with the Microsoft field. So our sellers, or cloud solution architects are fully versed in the whole framework and they are also helping customers move forward. And, and what are some of the, from both a technology and business outcome standpoint, what are some of the most common use cases that the customers are seeing? What kind of, you're on the customer success team, what have been the customer success? Sure. <laughs> well, Brian can go into the details on the technical side, but one area that we find very common for customers to be blocked or concerned, even about adopting more services on Azure, is security and cost management. Those two areas are part of the governance methodology that we have created, and it's an area of clear concern. Obviously, some people go to the cloud because they think it's going to be savings. I'm going to have economic savings, financial benefits. That might be true, but they don't realize that right away. They need to make sure to understand what are the financial models, how the business model is changing, and what are the business outcomes that they really want. And they don't know how to do that because it's a new paradigm. It's on the cloud. Everything you have on-prem, 
is not going to work on the cloud. So how do you make that change? And it's not only technology, as Brian was saying. It's the processes that you need to change, your business processes and your people. Is your people ready to do all that? And that's where, you know, we might start with the modular approach in the governance space, drilling down, understanding security or cost management, and then boom, you expand to the entire framework because the customers need to go back and make these connections. Are you ready for this? Is your strategy aligned? And the whole conversation starts from there. But we are seeing security and cost management as some of the most clear ones. Anything else, Brian? Yeah, security, cost management, those are big drivers for governance. Mm -hmm. Um, When we look across the broader cloud adoption spectrum from strategy all the way to operational management, there's, there's a number of triggers. And that's actually how we drove those methodologies inside of the framework. Each methodology is a response to a collection of common blockers. So much like any form of change management, the biggest, most common blocker is just communicating the reason why. The, the cloud adoption is a lot of work. Why the hell are we going to put all this effort into it? So the strategy methodology really helps the business capture the why and the measures for success in a way that technical people can understand as they adopt cloud. Uh, for planning, it's uh, similar. Understanding where you want to go from a programmatic perspective and what skills your team will need and those sorts of things. So each one of them has a different set of blockers that are representative of what we see across thousands of customers that we've studied and analyzed and, and their different blockers that they see. And you'd asked earlier about what is it? A framework, a product, a service? That's one of the most common questions we get right behind you know, what are the pain points totally. you're solving. Mm-hmm. And it is a framework. It, it starts with guidance. It starts with a lot of guidance. I believe the last count is like three quarters of a million words written in the last nine months. So a lot of, a lot of words. But that's just to set a reference. Inside of each of those blockers, we have the assessments. Those help you identify which blockers are getting in your way of success. But then we also have accelerators, tools like Azure Blueprints that are specifically designed to configure an environment a certain way. So with a few clicks, you can be ready to go do a thing. And other, other uh, different accelerators and reference architectures that people can pull into the, the overall solution and get ready to execute to get over those blockers. That's, that's a really, really good point. How, um, kind of a, we'll, we'll kind of probably finish up on this question as we're coming up on time. From a technology standpoint, Brian, um, what are some of the most common services everyone starts to consume, right? There is this, okay, I need to, like, I've got a problem. I've got my business outcomes. I've identified my journey, right? I'm sure there is a building block, you know, kind of scenario of, okay, it's a little bit of this service. It's a little bit of this service. You throw in a little bit of this. You throw in a little bit of that. Like, tell us a little bit about, from a foundational aspect and a technology aspect, what are some of the most common ones that you you see in the customers today? Yeah, gladly. So cloud adoption is really broad. Um, Most people today by volume are starting with VMs, just replicating what they have on-prem to the cloud. When you look at customers that are maybe earlier in their overall corporate life cycle or have investments to tackle new innovative things, you start to see more data and more applications. Uh, So it's really diverse what they're implementing. But then when it comes to adoption, there's a couple of basics that that everybody can implement. Having something like Azure DevOps to manage the overall flow of change management and just what all has to be done during adoption is a great starting point. Uh, Since so many people struggle with governance and and overall security, implementing management groups, um, blueprints, Azure policy, the whole Azure governance suite, that helps really protect those environments. So regardless of what technology they're using, basic guardrails can put in place to keep the team safe as they go and adopt. And that's actually led to some of the great customer stories we've been seeing here recently. Yeah, totally. And I will add to that in terms of services, Azure Quick Start Center. 
With the Quickstore Center, we have integrated all these millions of words that Brian and Tim are writing into a very prescriptive but easy to go in the portal experience, you get all this information. So customers might go through the assessment or, or read some of the articles in documentation and they come in into Azure Quick Start Center and look at the specific guidance that they need to do with a click-through approach and they're jumping into Azure Policy or Azure Migrate, depending on where they are. So we have a set of guidance there in terms of guides that help customers click through things and go implement. And, and that's another way that we see customers getting through services and going easily through the portal on where they need to go to implement the methodologies. That's a great point. Yeah, the native content is really designed for a high-level cloud architect, an IT decision maker, even to some degree, some degree the C-suite with CIOs and CFOs really getting engaged in how do we set our vision and organize our company. But for every one of those leaders that we have that are making decisions around the methodologies, there's 10 to 20 different IT implementers that have to go do something. So that Azure Quick Start Center boils down all of that methodology into a very small number of pages with very tactical links into the tools that they'll use to implement those decisions. That's fantastic, yeah. And I know I've used it on the podcast before, but uh, you know I've always had this methodology uh, you know, previously, and even before cloud was a thing, right? It was always this you know cookie cutter methodology, right? Like anytime you need to do something a, a, a certain number of times, and let's just say that call that number greater than two, right? You need to standardize it. You need to write it down. You need to figure out how are we going to productize this, if you will, or widgetize this, or whatever kind of verb you want to add on the back there, right? So that's that's fantastic. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. So Evelyn and Brian, where can everyone find out more about the two of you, find out more about the Azure Cloud Adoption Framework? Um, I'm assuming you will be at any of the major shows coming up in the, in the future as well. Yes, absolutely. So very easy link for everyone to follow. We have a long name, but we have a short link, a very short, <laughs> short link. is aka.ms slash adopt. Very easy to remember. All the information is there. And from there, you go to the deep documentation, to our customer reference stories, to our partner offers, and the assessments. Everything is in that page. And as far as following me, I tend to post things on LinkedIn quite frequently. But uh, I think everyone hit it on it earlier that cloud adoption isn't something that comes from a team. It's something that's meant to be a true one Microsoft voice. So don't follow me. Don't follow us. Follow your Microsoft representative who, who are contributing to this content in GitHub. They're helping us build the tools. Follow your partners. They're the ones that are actually yep. making this all actionable, and they're writing the words right alongside of us. So our goal is to make it to where it's not one person's framework or methodology. It's the voice of the entire company. Fantastic. And with that, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, on behalf of Brian, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll talk to everyone next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 